All right, everybody, welcome to the Family Prosperity Podcast. This is Michael Redden, and today I'm going to introduce you to someone who's a really good friend of mine. His name's Mason McIlvain. He works at Family Prosperity Partners with me, and he is the Director of Family Governance. But uh, I think his story is very important because he is the second generation of a family business, a family business that started from scratch. And he's experienced a lot of these things firsthand, and he has a lot of good uh, anecdotes and a lot of things to share about his experience. So uh, first, I'll let Mason kind of uh, uh, Mason tell us kind of a little bit about you, your family, where you guys are now in your journey. Yes. Yeah, so obviously, I'm Mason. Uh, my family started a business called Rift Smokehouse. We started over in Minnesota, northeast Minneapolis. Uh, Basically, my dad was a high-level uh, executive for a lot of food companies, specifically candy, and he kind of decided that it was, I guess, not fun to constantly fly on airplanes all around the country, never see any of us, and he decided that, well, I, I don't want to work for anyone. I want to see my family. Let's start something. So he kind of dumped all of our entire family's resources into starting a business in an area he knew, which was manufacturing food. But initially, we started out just as that small uh, kind of retail restaurant, little sample room type place. And over the course of this business, we've had to move out of northeast Minneapolis, get a manufacturing facility going, and we're in Walmarts and everything now. So, Well, um, a lot of people, you know, they start out as that technician. They get the entrepreneurial bug. You know, it's that classic thing you're going to see if you've read it in the E-Myth books. But your dad was a little bit more than that, wasn't he? Didn't he uh, work for some pretty high-profile uh, name brands? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got Nestle, Nabisco, General Mills, Whitesville, Setsco, which no longer exists because Farrah Pan bought it. But, uh, yeah, so it, basically if you had Mike and Ike's, Peeps, uh, Gummy Worms, Gummy Bears, uh, Stouffer's, he's worked on all of those at a pretty high level. And uh, so I think he brought a little bit of that unique experience to the entrepreneurial venture. Normally you get someone who has that idea and that's kind of what drives them. He actually came to entrepreneurship by way of this kind of more uh, corporate experience. So he had a lot of this understanding about process, scalability, and things like that. So that was a very unique perspective based on the entrepreneurs I now get to know who oftentimes has built something up based on their ideas, based on what they were hoping to accomplish rather than something they really knew that well. So it sounds like, you know, you guys had an opportunity to go a lot of different places. We had a lot of name brands and they're kind of spread out across the country. I know you're in the Midwest now and that's uh, kind of where you put your roots down, but uh, where all else have you been? Well, yeah, everyone pretty much thought I was in some kind of military family because rather than telling them he's in the candy business, whenever I come to a new place, let everyone know everywhere I'm from. They're like, ah, you're a military brat. Like, no, candy. So it was uh, East Coast, West Coast, California, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. I was born in Ohio. Uh, pretty much been all over because I guess he fought his way through that corporate ladder. But, yeah, it, it's been... You, yeah. Well, you know, the candy is a kind of fun thing because, uh, you know, I was in the military myself. And if you look at all the war movies, what do they do? When they show up, they go out and they say, hey, you want a chocolate bar? And that's how they make friends with everybody. So I guess, you know, there is a little bit of a correlation there. Well, that worked for me. It's better than, you know, remember the Titans going and kissing everyone. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the candy worked really well. I remember we would have uh, book clubs sometimes and you got to stock those things up. And so a semi-truck would just pull up full of various treats, and that makes you pretty popular pretty fast. 
So your dad had this expertise with kind of scaling and management mm-hmm. and everything from, from what you said. Does that mean, you know, because we've talked a lot about, you know, um, sales plus that's kind of how you how you find success. So um, when you guys first started out your business with that kind of um, expertise there, was sales kind of where you guys needed to grow? I would definitely say that. In fact, I think we would have 100% failed if it weren't for my mom, who was just some kind of genius when it comes to inter- like personal sales, events, showing off <laughs> what what we want to sell. I mean, there was... She could call up just about anyone, and we, we had literal cold calls. See, we had to go to hockey rinks and things, knocking on doors, trying to sell our barbecue. And uh, she was just incredible at that. So I, I don't think my dad would have figured that out <laughs> without us as well as he could have because, again, he had that corporate experience. But, but no, uh, we need a lot of growth in that, in that area. So you guys kind of went the different route, right? That route those people usually make that's a mistake where – you make a product, you produce a lot of it, then you see if it can sell because you first started selling barbecue? Yeah, so we were all, we were always doing barbecue and we had a market for it. We we planned to scale and we prepared to scale. We didn't build up inventory because that's one of the things we learned. We've actually never had to throw away products all these years. But yeah, we, we weren't sure what was going to hit. And that actually is part of our, our story, really, because initially it was sauce, it was pulled pork. We did ribs, but uh, I guess over time we just developed by getting connected with the community, and that's how you, I started to see all these problems. You found what people really wanted, which turns out is flavored bacon. A minimum viable product for food shelves in America, bacon. Shocker. That's like nachos. We want bacon on everything, and we want nacho cheese on everything. Yeah, people like their protein, they like interesting flavors, and initially, because this was northeast Minneapolis, and if you're not from around the area, you would, wouldn't know that it, that's like beer central. I mean, you think Oregon, you think, you know, maybe Milwaukee, but I, I really think the craft beer scene in Minnesota is just, pro- you know, I'm going to say it's the best. I'm a little biased, but I'm going to say it's the best. Well, you didn't go very far from your dad's original stuff, because didn't you first sell this stuff as candy? Uh, not really as a candy. It was uh, actually just part of going to these breweries and selling them alongside like your Slim Jim type thing. We didn't even have any of the flavors, but over time, uh, we, we found these beers go really well with certain bacon flavors and experimented with that to get. So you guys developed this business based on your dad's expertise and you said that you know you guys had to come together. Mom pretty much had to go sell it. So were you guys always a family business, or did Dad try it at first and then did bring you along? How'd this work? I think we were too young for it to be a family business. I mean, you, we're, we're still going through school, and I, I just don't think we were quite old enough to take full responsibility for things. But we were a family business in that we were all very, very invested. And when when he'd bring us in and have something for us to do, we'd accomplish it. I don't. I don't know if you can really call something a family business. I probably would have said it was back then. I would have said, yeah, this is definitely a family business. But knowing what I know now and seeing how it can be to actually be a family business, I would look back and say no, because it's not, we aren't responsible the way, we weren't responsible the way we are now. We weren't engaged the way we are now. And we weren't a team and a unit the way we are now. Well, when would you say that you guys actually became a family business if you weren't back then? 
Man, I think it would have to be. I mean, the the easiest, most obvious one is the second Kevin couldn't show up, and that was he got sick, he got cancer, he had to leave for a while. We picked it up. We had these processes. We were kind of there, and we were all invested. But I think my brother and I having to pretty much run the whole thing took it from we have someone leading this business, being my dad, to we have a group of exceptional people that could all lead this. Like, you can take him out, you could take me out, you could take my brother out, but as long as our family's up and running, this business is going to be up and running. That's what did it. Well, it sounds like it was a pretty tough situation. I mean, you said your dad, his expertise was the processes and everything, and you said the processes in place. What kind of processes did you guys have? You know, I, I couldn't even begin to list it all, but the real trick is he'd always say to me, you got to make it idiot proof. You got I always kind of laughed at that because you go, hey, I can figure this out. I can do this. I can think about it. But everything he set up was idiot proof and it was communicated and it was written down. I mean, even if it's just a process for checking the refrigerator temps or even if it's just a process for checking the refrigerator temperatures, for keeping up on paperwork or just anything you can imagine, we had talked about something for it. And you don't realize how important that becomes until you're doing things you're not used to. Uh, it saved us just having all that down. But, yeah, and that's just the business side. Yeah, but a lot of families have checklists and matrix and things, that, uh, metrics and things they look at. Uh, they have that kind of oversight. But I think if the founder or the... Uh, person responsible for the for starting the business just disappeared one day they'd fall flat on their face well I think the the founder or the owner sets up a lot of these things to hold other people accountable so you might have a really well organized you know well-oiled machine of a business if you set it up good because he, he built it your entrepreneurial guy knows everything about this business but he wants to be able to measure people if you has to back up he's got those metrics but for himself I mean, you don't know everything he's doing he's not writing it down the people who he needs to email everyone he's talked to what he needs to accomplish for that month that's almost never there I mean for that guy maybe for everyone else like you can keep the day-to-day -day things running but that that really, I guess, I should say high-level, strategic planning, uh, relationship building, that, that oftentimes just, you know, that's just the one guy. Well, you guys were definitely different mm -hmm. if the business didn't completely depend on him because usually that's, you know, something that scales, definitely something that happens after maybe you see Walmart, you know? Yeah. Uh, how were you guys different with that? How did you guys get Kevin out of the business before you even needed to, because usually that's a hindsight thing. Right. Uh, some of it's that he set it up and made it easy to function in the business, but I think the really big thing, so you, you can set up a bunch of things for a business, and then you you have family members as employees, and he was, I don't think he could do any better at that, but that's not what kind of allowed us to survive. What really helped us survive was this communication and this accountability that that comes into this whole family governance thing we were coalescing into that but we weren't we weren't where we are now but we had some of that and that was actually as we started to work together and i think that's what separated it because we knew all the stuff that he was doing that wasn't just a normal business process stuff outside of the business stuff above and beyond the business all that stuff had to be covered still i think that's what really would have sunk us
Okay. Well, you mentioned that there were some family governors and some other things there. I mean, what do you mean by that? What kind of system did you guys come up with? Well, I, I did mention that Kevin actually had to leave the business for a little while, and that might have come off as a little weird, like how to get out, all that stuff. He actually was forced out by our structure. One of the most, probably the fundamental structure that we had was we made decisions as a team, as a family. And one of those decisions we actually made was to tell him to finally go to his doctor's appointment that he just would not go to. So he missed it for multiple months. He wasn't going to go again. He just didn't have the time. Like any <laughs> business owner, they don't have time for anything. But luckily, there's four other people in this family who said, you need to go to the doctor and we're not going to let you show up at the business if you don't. And that's actually what not only discovered the cancer, but then we also were able to use that to push him through, get him to his appointments, get him treated. Uh, that stuff was all separate from the business. And those were the kind of processes even he wasn't really, he he didn't bring to the table from, from corporate. But I, I really think that's what saved us. And that's that fundamental governance of decision making. Well, it sounds like uh, this kind of saved his life. But the big question to me is, I, I hear that, I understand that. But... I'm kind of shocked by it a little bit sometimes because, you know, it sometimes happens for our clients and things. But when you look back at this, there's a lot of businesses out there where that person who's running it, who's pulling it all and building it, has got it on their shoulders. Sure, the family could come together and nag him and tell him to go to the doctor. But they can't make him. How would you guys make him? Yeah, I, as I said, it's that decision-making policy. And part of that is that vote. There's actually – it means something, okay? I mean if – we agree on what we can vote on. We bring it up for vote. We vote on it. As that family, as that family board, that's binding, okay? And we all agreed to that. We signed on. We went a little intense. We're a very uh, structural family. We actually had a full constitution, and that was with the help of Michael. But, yeah, I I don't think we could have had him. Yeah, you, you can say we'd nag him, but if someone's strong-willed enough to build a business from scratch to be that entrepreneur... I think they're strong and willed enough to stand up to a little nagging when they don't think it's that important. But he can't stand up to a decision made by his whole family. It sounds like you guys got a whole lot of buy-in with it. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of families might be skeptical even if you go through these kinds of processes. But, you know, uh, do you think there are ways for the particularly stubborn family to kind of take care of that? Because it <laughs> happens for your generation, but what happens if, uh, if, if you're like this later on? Yeah, so if... I become exceptionally stubborn. Luckily, there's these policies in place. And not only are there, there's this, you, you mentioned buy-in. There's this huge buy-in, obviously, because we're all on that team and we all agreed. But deeper than that, it, it's actually structural in that you can force a Kevin or force me at some point to get out if that decision-making process is set up properly. And that's that's that real formalized, but I think important family governance. Because when you look at this first to second generation, it's a little bit of a problem. But if we're talking three, four generations down the line, you've got cousins of cousins, you've got people that are all different ages rather than this really easy line that, oh yeah, this is my dad, he started this. And then you got the family and we both listen to each other and we have that communication. The policies that you start with that family and that decision-making process will work really well further down the line there. And that's when they need to be able to say, hey, 
you do need to go to your doctor's appointment. You can't show up to the business. And it's not out of loyalty to just the family. It's about the structure being able to make them do it. Well, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about how these structures can make people do it, especially with the rest of the family. But it sounds like, you know, that might be something that we might want to explore at another time. But I really wanted to also say, you know, you guys just kind of got this handed to you where he's gone one day, poof, he's not there anymore. It's one thing to have these policies in place and to have just discussed a few things. But how did you guys really come together and implement it? What did you guys do? Yeah, before this, because I think we would have crashed and burned if we didn't have a lot of this information. Luckily, we were able to look back over all of our previous meetings, minutes, things like that, see what we needed to get done. But I guess how we started to implement it, it was a really interesting combination because my dad uh, was really, really intense when it came to family. Uh, I read a lot of books about it. I, I had a lot of passion for supporting my family. So we were always there kind of grasping in the dark at it. Uh, but over time, well, part of it was getting to know you in, in that you had a lot of this interesting estate planning structure, things like that, a lot of insight into how to formalize things that we, I guess, had intuitively or in our hearts. So he came forward with a lot of mission statements, a lot of values, and a lot of things that we, I guess, were just very, very important to us. And then we were committed enough and uh, into it enough that we did started putting a structure around it there. Well, I'm guessing that after you guys took this vote and you tried to force him, that a couple of you probably thought he wasn't going to go through with it. But when he did... And he came back and he said, you know, I've got cancer. I bet that was shocking. I mean, that would that alone would kind of put a lot of families right off their balance. I mean, what were you guys thinking? What did you feel? How did you snap out of that and start the work? You know, we didn't at all snap out of it. I, I think that is really the trick for something like this. I don't know if you – well, you've got a lot of training. You know in your training, you snap back to what you've learned and practiced over and over again. And if we hadn't had that baseline, we would have snapped back to just, I guess, floundering around. It was surreal the whole time. Uh, I don't think there was a moment where I snapped into any kind of like, oh, this is really happening. I did, we just went forward with the processes, the, the training, and, and that's what it is. The training that we had functioning as a family rather than as people filling their roles. And that's what saved us because it was kind of mindless in that we were able to fall back on something comfortable rather than fight and forge ahead. And we probably didn't really have the strength to do that in the face of something that scary. I mean, so your first instinct when you heard this, you were shocked in days was we need to go have another family meeting. I mean, no, no. My first instinct was this is not true, and I'm just going to continue on. I mean, that that's always the first instinct. It's denial right out right. of the gates because we didn't know for sure. I mean, it was not the initial tests came back and like, yeah, you might, and so we're like, okay, he's going to have to go to another appointment. You're going to that, right? Going, yeah, okay, I'm going to that. And so, do you think there was a question of whether or not he would? Did you guys have oh, to yeah. force him? Oh yeah. Well, we didn't. We didn't have to the first time we really did <laughs> the the second time after it's like hey you've got some abnormal cells like 
So it got real for him then too. Yeah, yeah. They, there was no more. There wasn't the decision. There was just, oh, okay. I'm I'm headed back at this time, and that was more of a that ended up in a report. Let's put it instead of in the something the discussion section where we vote on. So things. you guys are actually filing reports with each other, not just having discussions. We need to. I mean, there's there's too much that each of us do now. That's uh, just. You have to trust people to accomplish. If you really want to scale and get mm-hmm. bigger, you can't know everything that's going on. I mean, I just sort of recently went through, I do all our quality, and I went through this ridiculous audit. My brother and dad and mom only knew what I was doing and that if I wasn't there, how to go continue the work. They have no idea how it worked or what happened. Same kind of thing with him. And so we need those reports to be able to reconstruct what to do it's probably a pretty good like a pretty good thing for most families especially if they've you know got more than one business they're growing it for generations down mm-hmm. but particular to me is you guys had these reports and everything but your main business is in a very regulated area ridiculous yeah. if you guys stumble and something slips the government could straight just shut you down. I mean, well, no, they'll shut us down if you don't stumble and slip. They'll shut you down over a nutrition information yeah. a quarter inch too high. So if you actually do screw up, they'll do more than shut down. They'll shut you down and take everything you've ever owned. <laughs> so they could shut you down and ruin you with without a tragedy. You guys just had a tragedy. Yeah. When the, the shocks in, talk us through how you guys rally back I mean where'd you what'd you actually do how'd you rally what'd you decide where'd you come together what what happened gosh I, you know what I, I have to really think back and, and deconstruct this because it's exactly how I said I fell back on filling my responsibilities yeah if I'm gonna be honest what really happened was we had a lot of this really we were talking about reports and everything. We had this really intense structure where we all had to report. We had very consistent meetings. And I'd say we went above and beyond what was necessary. Yeah, so when things got really serious, we actually kind of regressed. Um, I'd say we went from that really high-level intense structure to something a lot less, where we were still communicating a lot, but we fell back into our roles and then were able to kind of reconstruct what Kevin was up to other than just talking to him. Obviously, he helps <laughs> in the preparation for it, but he can't go through every single thing, and, and he can't remember everything. So my mom really stepped up in terms of taking care of him. That was uh, actually partially her explicit role in our governance. Um, my brother and I did our roles and then everything Kevin was up to, and honestly, our employees were able to even step up and do more because we were able to tell them some of the things that Kevin was up to and have him double check, triple check on that. Uh, so you couldn't really do that unless you knew what was going on to a really high degree. You said that was your mom's explicit role. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So she has various responsibilities talking about reports. Uh, for instance, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas are coming up. It is actually a very important action item on all of our agendas at this moment to submit the dates we're free, have her schedule these family meetups, because, I mean, heck, we've got a number of people, all with significant others, who are trying to coordinate their holidays together, and she has complete authority over that when it comes to planning. So she covers that role 
as her very explicit responsibility, the head of the wellness committee is what she is. Oh, well, yeah. So I, I understand the role with scheduling and things like that. But I think when a lot of people think about how businesses are run or how families should run, they don't even know what a wellness committee might even be about. You're right. I'm just assuming a lot of this because it's so important to us as a family. Uh, she's responsible for the things that kind of make the business success worth it. So I, I've seen a lot of times other families find just incredible success when it comes to the business, and then they've got their spouse there. And what that, what are they supposed to do? And Because you don't want them in there making these big business decisions if they don't know what it is. But at the same time, they need to have a voice within the family, and usually they have just incredible talents that they could bring to bear for the family, and that's where my mom's at. I mean, our lives wouldn't be, we wouldn't be happy, my dad wouldn't be alive, we wouldn't be happy and healthy, we wouldn't all get together on Thanksgiving and Christmas and be able to have retreats as a family if it weren't for her, and that's not a joke, it's it's something that's a very serious responsibility, with a budget, with reports that she submits, and with things that she can hold other people accountable to, which gives her not only a little bit of power within our family, but having that defined role gives her a place when so often the business just takes over the family. It brings the family forward to scale along with that business in terms of what it can accomplish outside just the money. So your family's so serious about taking care of the people and not just the dollars that you've made a committee and she has actual authority for this so much that it oh, yeah. sounds like it's equal with what runs the business is equal with the money rather than being kind of second fiddle. I don't even know if I'd say the business is on the level of the wellness, if I'm going to be honest, because business could tank tomorrow. We, we always say this. I mean, the family is far more important than the business. So I think she might be uh, head and shoulders more important than the business operations. At least that's my feel. So we kind of know how you fit into this and kind of how you're working with it and your parents. What about your siblings? Yeah, my brother is going to completely run our supply chain. He's at Tommy, which it, for you non-Minnesotans is someone who goes to St. Thomas in the Twin Cities, which is a pretty decent business school for a Minnesota business school. And he is pretty much running our entire supply chain right out of college. Um, he knows what he's doing. He's able to accomplish it because we trained him in. So he's he's got that. He's always wanted to go that way, and he's doing a great job of it. Now, my sister is very similarly passionate. <laughs> she has decided to be a NICU nurse, and that is what she's going to do, and she's going to do a darn good job. She is at Loyola in Chicago, straight straight track nursing program. Oh, God bless her, and yeah. every time you say that to someone, I, I, I think just to say God bless her because that's not no, I couldn't do an it. easy job. Uh, oh, man. How does, how does this family structure, where does she fit in? If she's not in the business, where does she fit in? Well, she's related to the business. I mean, she's helped with some social media stuff. She's able to help a lot with the wellness type stuff, keeping people accountable to their health. Because, I mean, nursing, she knows <laughs> what she's doing. And then I think more importantly, because she's still in school right now, so she doesn't have, I mean, obviously people have different amounts of time to, to dedicate. She knows what she can do to be involved in the decisions, keep 
keep abreast of everything and be able to contribute when and if she wants to coming out of that. Right now, I mean, she's just wanting to make sure she gets her organic chemistry done, which I can help her with. But yeah. So she uses her talents to help the business. Does does the business help her talents? I mean, is this still basically just a family business endeavor and you're kind of looking with the people? I mean, what how what does someone get as a as a role or even as a benefit or responsibilities within your within your family governance? Well, her her responsibilities to always have a voice and a say and have input. Because if you cut that out and just kind of forget about what she might have to say, you're, you're going to miss stuff. I mean, she knows social media way better than I do. That that was huge for us. I mean, she knows a lot of things that I don't know. And so does every member of a family, specifically my family. So her primary responsibility, at least right now, in the future, I think it'll continue to grow as she gets out of college here. But right now is to actually make sure she's engaging, communicating, voting, and helping us make these decisions. Because even though she might not make day-to-day operations or business decisions, there are a ton of things that are not that and that she has a very important voice in. Well, I think a lot of families out there that are thinking about these things, they get kind of wrapped up in the business and the assets. And you've talked about a lot about how you guys take care of people. But let's really look forward here, okay? Let's say your mother and father have retired. We're further beyond that, you know. Uh, you, your brother, your sister, you're middle aged. You got your own kids and things mm-hmm. like that. She's not in the business. What's her role? What's her kids' role? What? How does this work for your family? What? What is? It, what? How does it function then? I mean, I'm really assuming she's taking over a lot of the wellness responsibilities. I don't want to completely shoehorn her in because she, as much as she's shown a lot of interest, we haven't transferred those over yet and I don't want to preempt her own decision making there but what's what's important to us and one of our guiding principles when it comes to her her real role and this is getting a little more specific into my family it doesn't need to be this way is we're going to compensate those fairly that do participate in the business but just for their participation in the business you're going to get the market rate and all the benefits that come out from being a family member, those assets. I mean, I know my dad's always wanted a house that we all go to share, do reunions, his grandfather house, he'll call it. And uh, all of this stuff that's outside the business, which should honestly, if you find success, should be a lot more than the business in terms of engagement size. That's where her role's gonna be. And her role's gonna be in deciding what we do with everything outside of the business. So even if she's not operating the business, Mm -hmm. a lot of the money that comes through and out of the business, you're going to want to invest. You're going to want to use for this wellness stuff. She's got a voice there. I mean, there's, there's, there's just so much that's not business operations. And I think people miss that. Well, money's good. You've talked about money. I think that's definitely good when, when it goes to them, but okay. What about this? Your son, your daughter, they want nothing to do with the family business. What's it look like for them? Well, the trick's whether they want anything to do with the family. Now, if they don't want anything to do with the family and they don't want to buy into a decision-making process and they don't want to do anything to support that, it's going to be difficult. But if they don't want to do something with the business but they want to be with the family, they're going to be that family member in the same way every other family member is. I don't get special power and authority because I'm helping operate an operating thing other than the fact that I have responsibilities in that area. So... 
they're going to be a co-equal family member. And if they want to be an artist, the, the whole family might have to get together and talk about it. But we can say, hey, do we support this? What, how can we help them? Where can they go? So being a member of the family and participating in that, everyone's pretty much on the same page and on the same level. I think that that's pretty interesting because in a lot of families, uh, if you look at kind of what's going on now and what actually goes on, people who aren't in the business tend to take like that second fiddle role and the people in the business end up having all the power. You yeah, know, who has mistake. the gold makes the rules, right? Yeah, that's a that's a, just a massive mistake because just because you're part of generating that and you've got those responsibilities, that's what you've agreed to, to do for the family. That's your talent. That's what we've said. Hey, you're going to do it. You're going to accomplish that. It doesn't mean that every other member of the family doesn't have talents and they're not contributing. One of the biggest agreements we had early on in my family was if this, and this is way before I even met you and before we had even a mission statement or values. I remember being uh, at our old place at 10 at night mopping the floor and feeling pretty darn I guess I didn't feel like I was <laughs> really some kind of high-level business person here because I'm mopping the floor at 10 p.m. And my dad told me that if it's for the good of the family and we agree on it, we go forward with it, when it comes to family, mopping that floor there is just as valuable as any decision I'm making. When In the business, that's not true. Don't do $10 an hour work if you don't have to. But But if the family needed that, I'm just as important as he is. That's something, just separating that out and getting that idea in your head is is incredibly valuable because you can be, on a, in market terms, you know, your market value might be way higher than another family member because you're that executive level position, but your family value might not be. It might be different for everyone and bringing that to the table, agreeing on it and having each member be valuable for their family and caring about that. Yeah, it's it's a shift in mindset that will allow you to accomplish, yeah, just about Your family's not a business. I mean, you talk about money and assets and everything like yeah. that, but you're not going to be real if you don't have some other pieces. You know, just talk about in school and things, being a well-rounded person. You've got to also be a well-rounded family. It sounds like you guys kind of uh, made it through a, a, a this hard time, and, and you really – came together and you had your governor structure going there. Um, so what actually happened when, when, when Kevin came back? Uh, uh, did he kind of smoothly go into it or anything like that? Well, that was pretty funny in the first place. I mean, he actually thought he'd be up and running back in the business the day after surgery. So he's like, yeah, I'll call you guys from home. And I got stitches and staples and it's food. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. No, that's not how I am, but I, I think it worked really well. For him to just not even, I guess, and, and it says something that this guy had the peace of mind to just go, you know, it's surgery time, I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to have to deal with the consequences. He, obviously, he was not able to be back the next day. He was in the hospital for days after that. Pretty, you know, you've got opioids and everything, too. So he was in no condition whatsoever to help with the business, but that was just fine, even though... I mean, earlier we talked about how the government can shut you down over nothing and how you can run into uh, various scalability issues right right at this same time that he's in the hospital. We had to 
more than quadruple our production capacity to get with Walmart orders. And we were actually having regulatory issues, which all turned out to be bogus. But at, at the time, it was, you know, I, I can't even believe that all three of those things hit so, at the same time, but it's true. So he goes out for cancer. Yep. You guys are running the business. The government mm-hmm. tries to shut you down. <laughs> yes, they no and successfully Wal- shuts us down. It shuts you down while Walmart's begging for product. Yeah, that's not a coincidence either. But how'd you guys get through that? But then also bring him back in. Was there friction when he came back? How'd you get through? Was there friction going back to his role? I, I I'd say there was the opposite of friction. It was just it was very comfortable again. Please, Dad, take this. We're done. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, and we'd had to. I mean. At least for my part, I ended up automating myself out a lot of stuff, which is not a bad thing. Like, I'm sorry. I, it's the first I, thing we do when we go yeah, for transitioning uh, businesses. You can't sell it if it's you. Right. So, I mean, it used to be I just had to stand staring at a screen to get that bacon perfect for hours and hours and hours every day. Now I push a button and walk away. Same thing with a lot of the business. And I'm going to credit that to my dad, even though I was the one sitting in there programming the machine. He taught me that that was the goal. You don't want to be, when it comes to a business like this, you don't want to be an artist. You don't want to have to get in there every time and really exercise so your skill. you're saying you want a business, not a job? A lot of people are just to create a job. <laughs> you can be an artist up front, you know? I mean, this, I'm not going to say this stuff isn't art. Like, I mean, the flavors, what it is, the chemical properties, it's beautiful and amazing yeah. to me. But I don't want that kind of mental energy to be dedicated to that product on a daily basis, or, or I'm just creating it it's over and over again. It's hard to pass a job onto your kids. You can pass a business, but a yeah. job, that's hard. Yeah, I, I don't think it... So anyway, yeah, I'm pretty much automated out of a lot of it, and the only thing that really almost, that really dragged me back into, you know, ridiculous hours was having to do the kind of compliance auditing type stuff, but that's more on an annual basis. Other than that... With him taking back over, it's like, wow, we have time. He's got time because he comes back. And b- before this, he was probably putting in 13, 14 hours a day. Not that he really needed to, but he felt he needed to because that's how he built it up. You know, he was in there back in the day, 18 hours a day. Yeah. But I think in, a lot of business owners feel that way. I yeah. built this. This is my baby. This is what it took. I want to show everybody that I'm putting in the work because you feel like that's what we need to deserve this. But that's <laughs> right, not, right. That's not how you create that's a business. Exactly that's not how you is. scale. That's how you make wealth. <laughs> right. So when he stepped back in, I, I'm, I, I'm not really re- – I didn't realize this at the time, but looking back on it retrospectively, he really only picked up the stuff that was the stuff he was incredibly passionate and talented at. So – I'd say he went from maybe doing an hour worth of really strategic planning a day mm-hmm. to like four or five of that. And gosh, that had <laughs> that had a, an effect. It had an immediate tangible effect in how the business was run. Because that's, I mean, that's where his talents are. I mean, that that's what he wanted to pick back up. And so when he didn't have to pick up all the stuff that he was doing, I think you're exactly right. Out of almost like this masochism, like if I want this business... I have to put in 18 hours a day and it has to be mopping the floor and cleaning stuff. And he didn't pick that stuff back up. He picked up all of the things that he was passionate about. So he goes down for cancer. These things happen. Your family rallies together and he realizes I don't have to do everything. anymore. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's amazing. He'll got, it's a cancer to get him out of the $12 an hour work. hundred, hundred percent did. 
uh, I mean, I remember before this, he would not come to, I mean, lunches, you know, he wouldn't pick up lunch, or he wouldn't eat. Now we'll go, like, I'll go out to lunch with him. Maybe my brother isn't showing up yet that day. He'll he'll sit down. He knows the people at the place. They, You know, we spend our full half hour, go back. My brother comes in, and he'll go, hey, Ethan, we got some stuff to talk about. Let's go out to lunch, too. <laughs> like, he's not going to eat, but he's got time to do that. Hmm. And that was something he would not have been willing to do before this. So I, I think that was a, honestly really, really good development for him from a business standpoint. So if you're listening out there, don't let cancer or some <laughs> don't do that. Let you start scaling your business. When you reach that point, if you've got family governance and things in place, you've got more than enough of a mechanism for people to kind of start taking some of the load off. That's the only way you're going to, you know, live to pass it on. Well, not only live to pass it on, live to grow your business because like if you're doing 18 hours a day like he was and you try to sell something, you're just selling yourself because you are the business. Your value, your business's value is your value to the business. So now he can look at it and go, well, I mean, you don't really need me to run this thing. It's a, it's a business. It's not me. I want to really <laughs> badly and I don't want to let it go though. Oh, well, he doesn't see. That's the fun part. You don't have to let it go, but you're, you don't. You have to be able to let it go without you, but you don't have to let it go. I, I think that's a – people say let go. You have to be able to back off, but that doesn't mean you lose any of that vision and that control from a family perspective. So if anything, he's got more of it because he's seeing the big picture and seeing the metrics. So, oh. yeah, I think it's increased control. Well, I at least it had a happy ending. Yeah, no, it's been an incredibly happy ending. He – uh, his PSA is still zero, so it was prostate cancer. So, yeah, he's he's looking like he's just not having cancer anymore, and he can spend a normal amount of a human amount of time at the business rather than a superhuman amount of time at the business. And it freed my mom up. It freed me up because he should be running it. He's an absolute expert, a chief operating officer of these big companies. He should be running that. And, yeah, really, there's a lot more balance than there used to be. Well, it sounds like family governance, at least, was a net positive for your family and your business. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that translate into your role at Family Prosperity Partners? What is What does the director of family governance do? Well, it basically what I'm trying to do with Family Prosperity Partners and what I do do is I bring – I bring what my family has forward to other families like this. I mean, I've, I've got this time, I've scaled myself out, and I just don't see, I don't see family governance out there. I see families fail constantly. I mean, that's, and, and failing doesn't just mean your business failing. Like, yeah, that, that can happen too, but failing can also mean just losing these relationships. And that's where, where all that wellness and stuff comes in. So what I do is I bring that forward, that refocusing from the business to the family, because a family can run a business better than any group of individuals yeah. can. If you're lonely with money and it being what, Ebenezer yeah. Scrooge, yeah. or our favorite uh, person who was the subject of the Aviator movie. <laughs> well, that's just you, but think about the people close to you. If you're just living a, a, a business life and a business life only, and other people don't have voices, they just start to become... I mean, where, 
who are they and who are they for the family uh, when you find success I, I mean that's <laughs> talk about things like divorce I don't want to go there too hard but the way to protect against that is to give everyone a role and implement this family governance so most of that I think the real core of that and, and what I do is to get families coming together and making decisions and to establish that base level of communication and accountability because that accountability is really really important being able to take someone not just not take them to task and yell at them and hurt their feelings but have rules in place to say hey you said you'd do this get it done it's really easy and that can be one of the hardest things for families and for people who are close to do because it's really scary. I mean, you've got a good relationship with your family. We hope. Yeah, and no, I, I do hope. But the better your relationship is, the more scary it is to come at them and feel like you're attacking them and maybe damage that relationship. Having the tools to write down what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and coming together to hold each other accountable, it actually, as much as it's bringing you closer, it takes the relationships off the table when it comes to making decisions and moving forward. You're just following the process. You're saying, letting them know, hey, you, you agree to this and go, going ahead with that. It, I think it saves relationships and saves businesses. Well, that's kind of what we kind of do is the first step. Yeah. You know, is, that is really the backbone of family governance. We get mm -hmm. together with them first. Do you want to do this? Do you really want to? Because it's a big deal. And, and that's what we do, had. We and that's forward. what a lot of families had to get there. I mean, we, we had that peace. But when it comes to bringing that peace to life and finding that family identity, like, yeah, you can get them all in. I, I, I hope your family's all in for what you do. I, and if, if they're not, you got to bring them there, persuade them, get them to the point where they can be that team. Or if they're not going to want to be that team, you know, <laughs> when, the best. when you say what you do, we don't mean come together, run the business. We mean right. be a family together and we want to take this journey and we, yes. we we want to make sure that our values transcend and that we don't go back to zero. We don't go shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. Mm -hmm. Once we get that buy-in, you know, it's really is, there's a lot of strategy involved in how we're going to get them to make decisions and things, but it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, that's one thing that we do, I think, pretty well. Um, if the listeners want to know any more about family governance, have any questions or anything about this, we could possibly bring those up on future podcasts. But if they want to reach out, how could they do that? They just have to call us or visit our website at familyprosperitypartners.com, not Family Prosperity Podcast. Um, and yeah, you can find us, get a hold of us by phone, email, familyprosperitypartners.com. So we'll put contact. that in the Yeah, no, it'll, the it'll all be notes. in the description. So yeah, that that's what you got to do. Get that buy-in and then actually make make your family something rather than just your business something. Well, reach out to us if you have any questions. I'm glad I got to introduce everyone to Mason, and he will be having podcast episodes as well. And uh, this is kind of a journey we'll take together with you. So until next time.